Section 25 of the Exemplary Novels of Miguel de Cervantes Saavedra. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mary Herndon Bell. The Exemplary Novels by Miguel de Cervantes Saavedra. Translated by Walter K. Kelly. The Illustrious Scullery Maid, Part One. In the famous city of Burgos, there lived two wealthy cavaliers, one of whom was called Don Diego de Carriazo, and the other Don Juan de Avendaño. Don Diego had a son called after himself, and Don Juan another, whose name was Don Tomas de Avendaño. These two young gentlemen being the principal persons of the following tale, we shall, for the sake of brevity, call them Carriazo and Avendaño. Carriazo might be about thirteen, or little more, when prompted by a scampish disposition, without having had any cause to complain of bad treatment at home, he ran away from his father's house, and cast himself upon the wide world. So much did he enjoy a life of unrestricted freedom, that amidst all the wants and discomforts attendant upon it, he never missed the plenty of his father's house. He neither tired of trudging on foot, nor cared for cold or heat. For him all seasons of the year were genial spring. His sleep was as sound on a heap of straw as on soft mattresses, and he made himself as snug in a hayloft as between two holland sheets. In short, he made such way in the profession he had chosen that he could have given lessons to the famous Guzman de Alfarache. During the three years he absented himself from home, he learned to play at Sheepshanks in Madrid, at Rintoy in the public houses of Toledo, and at Presa y Pinta in the Barbacans of Sevilla. In spite of the sordid penury of his way of life, Carriazzo showed himself a prince in his actions. It was easy to see by a thousand tokens that he came of gentle blood. His generosity gained him the esteem of all his comrades. He seldom was present at drinking bouts, and though he drank wine, it was in moderation, and he carried it well. He was not one of those unlucky drinkers who, whenever they exceed a little, show it immediately in their faces, which look as if they were painted with vermilion or red ochre. In short, the world beheld in Carriazzo a virtuous, honorable, well-bred rogue of more than common ability. He passed through all the degrees of roguery till he graduated as a master in the tunny fisheries of Zahara, the chief school of the art of kitchen-walloping rogues, fat and shining with grease. Feigned cripples, cut-purses of Zocodober and the Plaza of Madrid, sanctimonious patterers of prayers, Sevilla porters, bullies of the hampa, and all the countless hosts comprised under the denomination of rogues. Never presume to call yourself by that name if you have not gone through two courses at least in the Academy of the Tunny Fisheries. There it is that you may see converging as it were in one grand focus toil and idleness, filth and spruceness, sharp-set hunger and lavish plenty, vice without disguise, incessant gambling, brawls, and quarrels every hour in the day, murders every now and then, ribaldry and obscenity, 
singing, dancing, laughing, swearing, cheating, and thieving without end. There many a man of quality seeks for his truant son, nor seeks in vain, and the youth feels as acutely the pain of being torn from that life of license as though he were going to meet his death. But this joyous life has its bitters as well as its sweets. No one can lie down to sleep securely in Zahara, but must always have the dread hanging over him of being carried off to Barbary at any moment. For this reason, they all withdraw at night into some fortified places on the coast, and place scouts and sentinels to watch whilst they sleep. But in spite of all precautions, it has sometimes happened that scouts, sentinels, rogues, overseers, boats, nets, and all the posse comatus of the place have begun the night in Spain, and have seen the dawn in Tetuan. No apprehensions of this kind, however, could deter Carriazo from spending three successive summers at the fisheries for his pastime. And such was his luck during his third season, that he won at cards about seven hundred reales, with which he resolved to buy himself good clothes, return to Burgos, and gladden the heart of his sorrowing mother. He took a most affectionate leave of his many dear friends, assuring them that nothing but sickness or death should prevent his being with them in the following summer, for his heart was in Zahara, and to his eyes its parched sands were fresher than all the verdure of the Elysian fields. Ambling merrily along on Shank's mare, he arrived at Valladolid, where he stopped a fortnight to get rid of the mahogany hue of his complexion, and to change his rogue's costume for that of a gentleman. Having equipped himself properly, he had still a hundred reales left, which he spent on the hire of a mule and a servant, that he might make a good figure when he presented himself to his parents. They received him with the utmost joy, and all the friends and relations of the family came to congratulate them on the safe arrival of their son Don Diego de Carriazo. I had forgotten to mention that during his peregrination Don Diego had taken the name of Vidialis, and by that name alone he was known to his new acquaintances. Among those who came to see the new arrival were Don Juan de Avendaño and his son Don Tomas, with the latter of whom, as they are both of the same age and neighbors, Carriazzo contracted a very close friendship. Carriazzo gave his parents a long and circumstantial account of all the fine things he had seen and done during the three years he had been from home, in all which there was not one word of truth. But he never so much as hinted at the tunny fisheries, though they were constantly in his thoughts, more especially as the time approached in which he had promised his friends he would return to them. He took no pleasure in the chase with which his father sought often to divert him, nor in any of the convivial meetings of that hospitable city. All kinds of amusements wearied him, and the best enjoyments that could be offered to him were not to be compared, he thought, with those he had known at the tunny fisheries. His friend, Avendaño, finding him often melancholy and musing, ventured to inquire after the cause, at the same time professing his readiness to assist his friend in any way that might be requisite and to the utmost of his power, even at the cost of his blood. Carriazzo felt that it would be wronging the great friendship subsisting between him and Avendaño, if he concealed from the latter the cause of his present sadness, and therefore he described to him in detail the life he had led at Zahara, 
and declared that all his gloom arose from his strong desire to be there once more. So attractive was the picture he drew that Avendaño, far from blaming his taste, expressed his entire sympathy with it. The end of the matter was that Avendaño determined to go off with Carriazzo and enjoy for one summer that delicious life of which he had just heard such a glowing description. And in this determination, he was strongly encouraged to persist by Carriazzo, who was glad to be so countenanced in his own low propensities. They set their wits to work to see how they could scrape together as much money as possible, and the best means that occurred to them was that suggested by Avendaño's approaching departure for Salamanca, where he had already studied for three years, and where his father wished him to complete his education, and take a degree in whatever faculty he pleased. Carriazzo now made known to his father that he had a strong desire to go with Avendaño and study at Salamanca. Don Diego gladly fell in with his son's proposal. He talked with his friend Don Juan on the subject, and it was agreed between them that the two young men should reside together at Salamanca, and be sent thither well supplied with all requisites, and in a manner suitable to the sons of men of quality. The time for their departure being arrived, they were furnished with money, and with a tutor who was more remarkable for integrity than for mother wit. Their fathers talked much, and impressively to their sons, about what they should do, and how they should govern themselves, in order that they might become fraught with virtue and knowledge, for that is the fruit from which every student should aspire to reap from his labors and his vigils, especially such as are of good family. The sons were all humility and obedience. Their mothers cried. Both parents gave them their blessing, and away they went, mounted on their own mules, and attended by two servants of their respective households, besides the tutor, who had let his beard grow to give him a more imposing air of gravity, as became his charge. When they arrived in Valladolid, they told their tutor they should like to remain there a couple of days to see the city, having never been in it before. The tutor severely reprimanded them for entertaining any such idle notion, telling them they had no time to lose in silly diversions, that their business was to get as fast as possible to the place where they were to pursue their studies, that he should be doing extreme violence to his conscience if he allowed them to stop for one hour, not to speak of two days, that they should continue their journey forthwith, or if not, then brown bread should be their portion. Such was the extent of the ability in his office possessed by this tutor, or major-domo, as we should rather call him. The lads, who had already gathered in their harvest, since they had laid hands upon four hundred gold crowns which were in the major-domo's keeping, begged that he would let them remain in Valladolid for that day only, that they might see the grand aqueducts, which were then in course of construction, for the purpose of conveying the waters of Argolis to that city. He consented at last, but with extreme reluctance, for he wished to avoid the expense of an additional day on the road, and to spend the night at Valdiasteus, whence he could easily reach Salamanca in two days. But the bay horse thinks one thing, and the man on his back another thing, and so it proved in the major-domo's case. The lads, mounted on two excellent mules, and attended by only one servant, rode out to see the fountain of Argalis, famous for its antiquity and the abundance of its water. On their arrival there, 
Avendaño gave the servant a sealed paper, bidding him return forthwith to the city and deliver it to his tutor, after which the servant was to wait for them at the Puerta del Campo. The servant did as he was bid, and went back to the city with the letter, and they, turning their mules' heads another way, slept that night in Mojados, and arrived two days afterwards in Madrid, where they sold their mules. They dressed themselves like peasants in short jerkins, loose breeches, and grey stockings. An old clothes-dealer, to whom they had sold their handsome apparel in the morning, transformed them by night in such a manner that their own mothers would not have known them. Lightly equipped, as suited their purpose, and without swords, for they had sold them to the old clothes-dealer, they took to the road to Toledo. There, let us leave them for the present, stepping out briskly with merry hearts, while we return to the tutor, and see him open the letter delivered to him by the servant, which he read as follows. Your Worship, Signor Pedro Alonso, will be pleased to have patience, and go back to Burgos, where you will say to our parents that we, their sons, having with mature deliberation considered how much more arms befit cavaliers than do letters, have determined to exchange Salamanca for Brussels and Spain for Flanders. We have got the four hundred crowns, the mules we intend to sell. The course we have chosen, which is so worthy of persons of our quality, and the length of the journey before us, are sufficient to excuse our fault. Though a fault it will not be deemed by any one but a coward. Our departure takes place now. Our return will be when it shall please God, to whose keeping we, your humble pupils, heartily commend you. Given from the fountain of Argalis, with one foot in the stirrup for Flanders. Carriazo, Avendaño. Aghast at the contents of this letter, Pedro Alonso hurried to his valise, and found that the paper spoke but too truly, for the money was gone. Instantly mounting the remaining mule, he returned to Burgos to carry these tidings to his patrons, in order that they might take measures to recover possession of their son's persons. But as to how he was received, the author of this tale says not a word, for the moment he has put Pedro Alonso into the saddle, he leaves him to give the following account of what occurred to Avendaño and Carriazo at the entrance of Iescas. Just by the town gate they met two muleteers, Andalusians apparently, one of whom was coming from Sevilla, and the other going thither. Said the latter to the former, If my masters are not so far ahead, I should like to stop a little longer to ask you a thousand things I want to know, for I am quite astonished at what you have told me about the Condes, having hanged Alonso Gines and Ribera without giving them leave to appeal. As I am a sinner, replied the Sevillian, the Conde laid a trap for them, got them under his jurisdiction, for they were soldiers, and once having them in his grip, the court of appeal could never let them out of it. I tell you what it is, friend. He has a devil within him, that same Conde de Puñonrosto. Sevilla and the whole country round it for ten leagues is swept clear of swashbucklers. Not a thief ventures within his limits. They all fear him like fire. It is whispered, however, that he will soon give up his place as Corregidor, for he is tired of being at loggerheads at every hand's turn with the senores of the court of appeal. May they live a thousand years, exclaimed he who was going to Sevilla, 
for they are the fathers of the miserable and a refuge for the unfortunate. How many poor fellows must eat dirt for no other reason than the anger of an arbitrary judge of a corregidor, either ill-informed or wrong-headed. Many eyes see more than two. The venom of injustice cannot so soon lay hold on many hearts as on one alone. You have turned preacher, said he of Sevilla, but I'm afraid I can't stop to hear the end of your sermon. Don't put up tonight at your usual place, but go to the Posada del Sevillano, for there you will see the prettiest scullery wench I know. Marinilla at the Venta Tejada is a dishclout in comparison with her. I will only tell you that it is said the son of the Corregidor is very sweet upon her. One of my masters gone on ahead there swears that on his way back to Andalusia he will stop two months in Toledo, and in that same inn only to have his fill of looking at her. I myself ventured once to give her a little bit of a squeeze, and all I got for it was a swinging box on the ear. She is as hard as a flint, as savage as a kestrel, and as touch-me-not as a nettle. But she has a face that does a body's eyes good to look at. She has the sun in one cheek and the moon in the other. The one is made of roses and the other of carnations, and between them both are lilies and jessamine. I say no more. Only see her for yourself, and you will see that all that I have told you is nothing to what I might say of her beauty. I'd freely settle upon her those two silver-gray mules of mine, that you know, if they would let me have her for my wife. But I know they won't, for she is a morsel for an archbishop or a conde. Once more, I say, go and see her. And so, good-bye to you, for I must be off. The two muleteers went their several ways, leaving the two friends much struck by what they had overheard of the conversation, especially Avendaño, in whom the mere relation that the muleteer had given of the scullery maid's beauty awoke an intense desire to see her. It had the same effect on Carriazzo, but not to an equal degree, nor so, as to extinguish his desire to reach his beloved tunny fisheries, from which he would not willingly be delayed to behold the pyramids of Egypt, or any or all of the other seven wonders of the world. Repeating the dialogue between the muleteers, and mimicking their tones and gestures, served as pastime to beguile the way until they reached Toledo. Carriazzo, who had been there before, led the way at once to the Posada del Sevillano, but they did not venture to ask for accommodation there, their dress and appearance not being such as would have gained them a ready welcome. Night was coming on, and though Carriazzo importuned Avendaño to go with him in search of lodgings elsewhere, he could not prevail on him to quit the doors of the Sevillano or cease from hanging about them upon the chance that the celebrated scullery maid might perhaps make her appearance. When it was pitch dark, Carriazzo was in despair, but still Avendaño stuck to the spot, and at last he went to the courtyard of the inn, under pretense of inquiring about some gentlemen of Burgos who were on their way to Sevilla. He had but just entered the courtyard, when a girl, who seemed to be about fifteen and was dressed in working clothes, came out of one of the side doors with a lighted candle. Avendaño's eyes did not rest on the girl's dress, but on her face, which seemed to him such as a painter would give to the angels, 
and so overcome was he by her beauty that he could only gaze at it in speechless admiration without being able to say one word for himself what may you please to want brother said the girl are you servant to one of the gentlemen in the house i am no one's servant but yours replied avendaño trembling with emotion go to brother returned the girl disdainfully we who are servants ourselves have no need of others to wait on us and calling her master she said please to see sir what this lad wants the master came out and in reply to his question avendaño said that he was looking for some gentlemen of burgos who were on their way to sevilla one of them was his master and had sent him on before them to alcala de henares upon business of importance bidding him when that was done to proceed to toledo and to wait for him at the sevillano and he believed that his master would arrive there that night or the following day at farthest so plausibly did avendaño tell this fib that the landlord was quite taken in by it very well friend he said you may stop here till your master comes many thanks senor landlord replied avendaño and will your worship bid them give me a room for myself and a comrade of mine who is outside we have got money to pay for it as well as another certainly said the host and turning to the girl he said costanza bid la arguello take these two gallants to the corner room and give them clean sheets i will do so senor and curtsying to her master she went away leaving avendaño by her departure in a state of feeling like that of a tired wayfarer when the sun sets and he finds himself wrapped in cheerless darkness he went however to give an account of what he had seen and done to carriazzo who very soon perceived that his friend had been smitten in the heart but he would not say a word about the matter then until he could see whether there was a fair excuse for the hyperbolical praises with which avendaño exalted the beauty of costanza above the stars at last they went indoors and la arguello the chambermaid a woman of some five-and-forty years of age showed them a room which was neither a gentleman's nor a servant's but something between the two on their asking for supper la arguello told them they did not provide meals in that inn they only cooked and served up such food as the guest bought and fetched for themselves but there were eating-houses in the neighbourhood where they might without scruple of conscience go and sup as they pleased the two friends took la arguello's advice and went to the eating-house where carriazzo supped on what they set before him and avendaño on what he had brought with him to wit thoughts and fancies carriazzo noticed that his friend ate little or nothing and by way of sounding him he said on their way back to the inn we must be up betimes to-morrow morning so that we may reach or gaze before the heat of the day i am not disposed for that replied avendaño for i intend before i leave this city to see all that is worth seeing in it such as the cathedral the waterworks of juanello the view from the top of st augustine's the king's garden and the promenade by the river very well we can see all that in two days what need of such haste we are not posting to rome to ask for a vacant benefice ha ah, ha ah, friend i see how it is i'll be hanged if you are not more inclined to stay in toledo than to continue our journey that's true i confess it is as impossible for me to forego the sight of that girl's face 
as it is to get into heaven without good works. Gallantly spoken, and as becomes a generous breast like yours. Here's a pretty story. Don Tomas de Avendaño, son of the wealthy and noble cavalier Don Juan de Avendaño, overhead and ears in love with the scullery maid at the Posada del Sevillano. It strikes me I may answer you in the same strain. Here's Don Diego de Carriazo, son and sole heir of the noble knight of Alcantara of the same name, a youth finely gifted alike in body and mind, and behold him in love. With whom, do you suppose? With Queen Ginevra? No such thing. But with the tunny fisheries of Zahara, and all its rogues and rascals. A more loathsome crew, I suspect, than ever beset St. Anthony in his temptations. You have given me tit for tat, friend, and slain me with my own weapon. Let us say no more now, but go to bed, and to-morrow, who knows, but we come to our senses. Look ye, Carriazzo, you have not yet seen Costagna. When you have seen her, I will give you leave to say what you like to me. Well, I know beforehand what will be the upshot of the matter. And that is, that I shall be off to my tunny fisheries, and you will remain with your scullery maid. I shall not be so happy. Nor I such a fool as to give up my own good purpose for the sake of your bad one. By this time they reached the inn, where the conversation was prolonged in the same tone half the night long. After they had slept, as it seemed to them, little more than an hour, they were awakened by the loud sound of clarions in the street. They sat up in bed, and after they listened a while, I'll lay a wager, said Carriazzo, that it is already day, and that there is some feast or other in the convent of Nostra Senora del Carmen in this neighborhood, and that is why the clarions are peeling. That can't be, said Avendaño. We have not been long asleep. It must be some time yet till dawn. While they were talking, someone knocked at the door and called out, Young men, if you want to hear some fine music, go to the window of the next room which looks on the street. It is not occupied. They got up and opened the door, but the person who had spoken was gone. The music still continuing, however, they went in their shirts just as they were into the front room, where they found three or four other lodgers, who made place for them at the window and soon afterwards an excellent voice sang a sonnet to the accompaniment of the harp. There was no need of any one to tell Carriazzo and Avendaño that this music was intended for Costanza, for this was very clear from the words of the sonnet, which grated so horribly on Avendaño's ears that he could have wished himself deaf rather than have heard it. The pangs of jealousy laid hold on him, and the worst of all was that he knew not who was his rival. But this was soon made known to him when one of the persons in the window exclaimed, What a simpleton is the Corregidor's son, to make a practice of serenading a scullery maid. It is true she is one of the most beautiful girls I have ever seen, and I have seen a great many, but that is no reason why he should court her so publicly. After all, said another, I have been told for certain that she makes no more account of him than if he never existed. I warrant she is this moment fast asleep behind her mistress's bed, without ever thinking of all this music. I can well believe it, said the first speaker, for she is the most virtuous girl I know, and it is marvellous that though she lives in a house like this, 
where there is so much traffic, and where there are newcomers every day, and though she goes about all the rooms, not the least thing in the world is known to her disparagement. Avendano began to breathe more freely after hearing this, and was able to listen to many fine things, which were sung to the accompaniment of various instruments, all being addressed to Costanza, who, as the stranger said, was fast asleep all the while. End of the Illustrious Scullery Maid, Part 1